Your Steve Jones Show podcast will start shortly. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Brewers Outlet, your beverage supermarket on Reagan Street in Sunbury. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Today's show brought to you by Brewers Outlet, Reagan Street in Sunbury, the beverage supermarket. Imports domestics microbrews, best selection of beer anywhere. Wine coolers, water, soft drinks, snacks. They roast their peanuts fresh and hot every day. Six great flavors of slushies. And the pickle bar led by the barrels and the dills. Indeed, second to none. All at Brewers Outlet, Reagan Street, and Sunbury, the beverage supermarket. And we're in the Sunbury Motors studio, Sunbury Motors, 4th Street and Sunbury, Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15, Hummel's Wharf, online at sunburymotors.com. The Guardians win the first of a three-game series. In the best of three, they won two to one. Shane Bieber outstanding today, seven and two thirds, gave up three hits. Two one Guardians win it. Jose Ramirez with a two-run homer. Ramirez, you know, and again in a year where it's been Aaron Judge, Aaron Judge, Aaron Judge. Other guys had great years too. Jose Ramirez had a great year this year, and he had a two-run homer to make it a two-one final. And uh, they are now up in that series. Cardinals and Phillies. Zach Wheeler has been great so far, but it's still scoreless as he and Quintana just trade pitches. Right now, Wheeler's been tremendous. He gave up a leadoff single to Lars Newpar, former State College Spike, and then has retired everybody since. He's retired 10 in a row. Meanwhile, Quintana's only given up one hit. Quintana's only hit was to uh, Matt Verling. So, whose brother played here for the Spikes? Mark. But Wheeler's been great so far. Quintana's been great so far. Scoreless. To the bottom half of the fourth inning. And again, the Guardians already won 2-1. Mariners and Blue Jays start a little bit less than an hour from now. That will be Luis Castillo, who's now signed an extension with the Mariners, and Alec Manoa will be on the mound for the Jays. And then tonight, it's the Padres and the Mets. You Darvish for the Padres. Max Scherzer will get the ball for the Mets. And that will be in New York. Again, in these wild card games, Cardinals, Guardians, Jays, Mets, home for every game. There is no back and forth. Pete Jensen's going to join us on the show today. We'll talk about the NHL season getting underway. Reginald Walker will join us today. We'll talk Penn State football. Tommy McCarthy at 4.06 today. 
And then Tony Knopp in the final half hour on what's going on out west with UCLA, Oregon, Washington, Amazon. We'll go through all of it. It's all coming up today. So everyone understands where I'm coming from on expansion in the Big Ten. I feel I was adamant and felt strongly about USC and UCLA coming in. I think it's not just good. I think it's great. And I've established that from day one. Let's go back one year on the show when they were saying, well, maybe the Big Ten will go for Iowa State. Maybe it will go for Kansas. And I kept saying, what? They don't bring anything to the table. And I said that. And I also said, look, if you're going to go and expand, go big, go for somebody like USC. And I said that a year ago. Didn't say UCLA, said USC. Getting them both to me, that's, that's the kind of Grand Slam expansion you're looking for. There also is a point where you have to ask yourself, do I have enough? Is less more? And that's where I am with Cal, Stanford, Washington, Oregon. If it happens, you adjust and you move forward with it. Which, if it were to happen, that's exactly what I would do. I would adjust and move forward with it. That's fine. It's what they want to do. Hey, I'm lucky I've got the job I have. I get to announce it. That's great. But as I sit there in this chair, like you as a fans have opinions, I have an opinion. And since no move has been made by anybody... My opinion is, I'd like to see them just stick with 16. Because there is, to me, a management problem with this. At some point, even though these are football moves, at some point, though, it becomes an all-sports move. And you have to manage that going forward. And to me, managing 20 is extremely difficult and could potentially cause problems long after a guy like Kevin Warren is gone from the from the commissioner's chair. And to me, sometimes less is more. Concentrate on what you have, because you already have Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan, USC. You've got great primary brands. You've got terrific secondary brands. UCLA, Michigan State, Wisconsin, Nebraska. I you know, you know, I think I said Michigan State. Right? You've got great, great secondary brands. Right? Concentrate on what you have and manage what you have, because sometimes less is more. That's where I'm coming from. From it, to me, that's that's more of a common sense approach. If they decide to go in the direction of bring other people in, hey, hey, that's. That is their decision. I have nobody's asking me. Nobody cares what my opinion is. Which I totally understand. Nor should they. Nor should they care what my opinion is. And if they go in that direction, I'll happily go about my business and adapt. But since nothing's happened, you can have an opinion. I have an opinion. That's my opinion. That that would be me going forward. Doesn't mean that's what they're going to do. But we'll talk to Tony about that. Pete Jensen next as we continue on News Radio 1070 WKOK, brought to you by good friends at Brewers Outlet. Party. 
time, game time, or just fun time. Doesn't matter what time it is because it's Brewers Outlet time. The Beverage Supermarket has the area's largest beer selection, imports, microbrews, ciders, and domestics. Pick from over 100 ice-cold 12-packs and dozens of 24-ounce singles. Soda, snacks, hot sauces, fresh roasted peanuts. Make it one-stop party shopping and don't forget the pickle bar. So whatever you're celebrating or just doing it up, Brewers Outlet, Reagan Street, Sunbury wants to see you. And thank you for your years of patronage. NHL season underway in Prague, and Kiefer Sherwood scored the opening goal of the NHL season. 2-1, Nashville leads the San Jose Sharks in the second period. And let's talk with Pete Jensen, NHL.com. Pierre. We'll see you this Thursday, this, uh, yeah, Friday and Saturday. And then we got the big opening night next week. So hockey's right on the horizon. Penn State football is undefeated. It's a good time of year, Steve. Yeah, so far so good. All right. So let's get into a, a couple of guys. I will start with the Penguins. They bring the, quote, big three back. And not only that, they're not just back for a season. They all got multi-year contracts. Uh, I know you deal a lot with the fantasy numbers and so forth. What kind of numbers can those three put up in your mind? They're still, when healthy, at the peak of their careers, including Brian Rust, who they brought back as well. Again, entering the offseason, there was Rust, there was Malkin, there was Latang, all as potential UFAs. And I am surprised that they didn't shake it up at least a little bit. But when you really think about it, last year in the playoffs, had Sidney Crosby not been injured or Tristan Jari and Casey DeSmith not been injured in the crease, they still went to overtime in Game 7 against the Rangers. Had they beaten the Rangers, they would have run into the Hurricanes, and that could have been a coin flip. So right. I guess the window is still open, and that's the belief in the Penguins organization. You can't blame them, can you really? All these years, Crosby's whole career, they've made the playoffs. Yep. I mean, it's astonishing what they've put together. They're the only team in recent memory that's won multiple cups that hasn't fallen out and you know gone into full-on rebuilding mode at some point. It happened to the Blackhawks, happened to the L.A. Kings, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's amazing what they've been able to sustain, so they're keeping this train rolling. All right. Uh, let me give you a name of a guy that was phenomenal last year, and he's, I think he's been really good his whole career. Six straight years, the Toronto Maple Leafs have not made the playoffs, but Austin Matthews scored 60 goals. Your thoughts on, on Austin Matthews and what, what he can do and the numbers that you see? Well, yeah, he's the best goal scorer in the game, and that's with all due respect to Alex Ovechkin, who's still uh, firing on all cylinders himself. Uh, Alex Ovechkin just had his best point total in a season since 2009-10 with 90-plus last year, but we're still saying uh, he's not the best in the game at the moment because Austin Matthews, yeah, the you know, the verdict's still out on those Maple Leafs, right? They always fail in the first round of the playoffs. Yeah. It's uh, crazy that they haven't been able to break through with the roster that they have. But each passing year, it feels like they get a little bit worse. Like this year, they're coming into the season with a shaky goalie tandem, Matt Murray and yeah. Ilya Samsonov, that yeah. Penguins fans will, will know from, from different uh, memories. But, yeah, back to Matthews. Uh, he's the best in the game at shots on goal as well, in addition to goals. So he's just 
Uh, and he plays with Mitch Marner, who's a stud as well. So probably the best duo in the league uh, when you look at guys that play together all the time at even strength and on the power play. So that's why Toronto's always so good in the regular season because they got the uh, very best in the game from a goal-scoring standpoint. Tampa Bay has, has gone to three straight Stanley Cup finals. They won two of them. They won 11 consecutive series. East seems deep, Pete, uh, which to me, that's the roadblock to them getting back is the depth of the East. Is that fair? Yeah, I, I'm curious to see. That Atlantic division got a lot tougher uh, from top to bottom this offseason. Um, obviously, Ottawa, Detroit are teams that are among the most improved, if not at the top of the list. Yeah. In that category from this offseason, like Ottawa added Debrinkit and Claude Giroux. And Detroit has a great young core and added a new goaltender, Billy Huso and David Perron and Andrew Kopp and a couple other really quality players. So wouldn't be surprised if those two teams, you know, maybe took out a team like the Maple Leafs or the Bruins. But the, the Lightning will still rise to the top, at least in the regular season and early on in the playoffs. It's just a matter of, like, can a team maybe like Florida that now has Matthew Kachuk, if they run into each other for the third straight year, could maybe there be a different layer to the Panthers and they knock off the Lightning? Um, and then when they get to the Metro bracket, there's going to be a strong team on that side. There's going to be either the Penguins or the Rangers who got there last year and gave the Lightning a big fight. And then the Hurricanes, who I'm picking to win the Stanley Cup because right. they added Brent Burns, Max Pacioretty. They got a great team as well. Feels like the Hurricanes are overdue to make the cup finals. So maybe this is the year where the reign of the Tampa Bay Lightning ends, at least in the Eastern Conference. That's sacrilege. You can't pick the Carolina Hurricanes, the former <laughs> Hartford Whalers, my group. You can't do that. And I'm sorry, they abandoned Hartford. I mean, you can't pick the Canes. You can't do it. All right. Uh, Johnny Gaudreau has left Calgary. He's now with Columbus. You mentioned yeah. Matthew Kachuk going down to Florida. So each one gets a big addition. But Calgary still still looks good. Why? Calgary might be better than those two other teams, too, even though they lost uh, their two best players in Matthew Kachuk and Johnny Goudreau. They added Jonathan Huberto, who led the league in assists, carrying his own line. He played separate from Barkov at even strength, uh, which is amazing, really, to move away from an elite player and take your game to a new level. So that's what Huberto did. They added Mackenzie Weger in Florida who's a stout defensive defenseman and also one of the best at even strength in the whole league. And then Nazem Kadri, they added from the Stanley Cup yeah. champion Colorado Avalanche. They mm -hmm. signed him to a big money deal. And that kind of addresses their number two center spot, which has been a weakness in recent years. So even though they lost Gaudreau and Kachuk, they got better at number two center and they got better on defense. So, and they still have Huberto, who's going to elevate the players mm -hmm. around him. So, Really, as much as anybody's hyping up the Avalanche to repeat or the uh, Edmonton Oilers with their acquisition yeah. of a real goaltender and Jack Campbell, like everybody's yeah. sleeping on the Calgary Flames, I feel. Yeah, Edmonton got Jack Campbell, I think, from Toronto, if I recall. Uh, right. And maybe, it would, maybe it would be another one of those guys like Kadri, like Kessel, yeah. right, like Zach Hyman that leaves Toronto and then excels somewhere else. Right. Seems to be a trend. Exactly. You know, and look, they've still got McDavid, and they've got a deep well, – I mean, they are a three-line team, Edmonton. What do you think yeah. of them? 
Oh, definitely. And they're going to integrate uh, a new rookie, Dylan Holloway. Yeah. Uh, he's been a stud in the preseason so far. So the rich get richer in terms of depth. And, yeah, th- there's no doubt about it. This is the best team that Edmonton has fielded by far in the McDavid-Leon Dreisaitl era. So yeah. they got to the conference final last year, got swept away by the avalanche. They were rolling 40-year-old Mike Smith in net. Now they get an upgrade in net with Jack Campbell. So, And, again, with Jack Campbell, he took a lot of heat. He dealt with some injuries in Toronto. Mm-hmm. But I didn't think he was that bad, especially in the playoffs. Like the one series when they collapsed against Montreal, John Tavares got injured. The team kind of buckled around him. He wasn't that mm-hmm. bad statistically. And then last year uh, they had a chance to finish off the Lightning in the first round. I know. And Campbell, I thought, went toe-to-toe with Andre Vasilevsky. So more, the team couldn't finish in front of him. What more could you – what more would you need from your goaltender to keep you in games, you know? Pete, always a pleasure. Pete Jensen, NHL.com. Season is officially underway in Prague with Nashville leading 2-1 over San Jose in the second period. Reginald Walker in the next half hour last night. And by the way, the Phillies had a shot in the sixth inning, a leadoff double by Alec Bone. Segura got him to third, but they could not get him home. It's still scoreless in the bottom of the sixth inning. Tommy McCarthy at 4.06. And the Guardians have already won. They won 2-1 over the Rays in that opener. Scoreless, bottom of the sixth in St. Louis. Fills and cards. Today's show brought to you by Brewers Outlet. Reagan Street in Sunbury, the beverage supermarket. Here on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Shigalumi Mifflinburg tonight with Kevo and the Chief. Outstanding as always. Had the pleasure of watching the uh, broadcast last week. Yeah, I know the. Shemokin had the game in hand, but I thought Kevin and Dave were just tremendous to listen to. And it'll be 6.30 tonight, 7 o'clock will be the kickoff. And Sealands Grove looks to get back on track on Eagle 107. And Lewisburg looks to get on track on 100.9 the Valley tonight. We have great high school broadcast teams. I mean, great. I mean, the best. All right. Today's show brought to you by our good friends at Brewers Outlet. Reagan Street in Sunbury, the beverage supermarket. Imports, domestics, microbrews. The best selection of beer anywhere. Wine coolers, water, soft drink, snacks. They roast their peanuts fresh and hot every day. Six great flavors of slushies. And the pickle bar, led by the barrels and the dills. Indeed, second to none. Stock up for the weekend. Put your feet up. Enjoy. You have Phillies playoff baseball. You've got college football, the NFL. It's your own little Oktoberfest. Brewers Outlet, Reagan Street, and Sunbury, the beverage supermarket. And we're in the Sunbury Motors studio, Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia Roots 11 and 15, Elmo's Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com. 
Tommy McCarthy next half hour, Tony Knopp final half hour. Now let's bring in our mystic from the south, Reginald Walker. Sir, welcome. Great to have you with us. Thank you, sir. It's always good to be with my main man, Stevie Jones. <laughs> uh, Reginald, uh, your observations of Penn State uh, through five. Uh, it's a football team that I think most importantly, Steve, it's a team with an identity, right? We're going to run the football. We'll take our shots when they're there. But we're going to play really, really good defense because we figured out that a guy like Joey Porter and, and some of those other guys we have in the secondary are really good. So we can load up up front and really try to shut the running game down and force people to really fight to earn yards uh, think about it. This team has given up less than three yards of carry rushing. Yeah. Now, th- there's two pieces to that. Number one, you have to be good up front to do that. But number two, you have to find a way to get ahead so that the running game starts to go out of the window for some teams when you get midway through the third quarter and on in the football game. And to the point they've done it. And not only that, if you have a Joey Porter Jr., out there, you need to be good on the other side. You see Kalen King and Johnny Dixon, for example. What has their maturity meant to make the Joey Porter Jr. side pay off? Well, I, th- I think the main thing is trust. Yeah. Right. Those guys and their ability to develop, and they've done that, and that's what that's what makes this thing special is their ability to develop. But, Steve, I, I want to point something out about these corners because I, I played the same position, but I initially got the Penn State. Yep. Um, and these guys are – they're about the weight I was, right, 190 pounds-ish. Mm-hmm. But Porter at 6'2", King at 5'11", Dixon at 6 feet tall. And all of these guys are long. Yeah. So they can play physical. They can play within the wide receivers and be able to feel them as they move up and down the field – getting in and out of breaks, I think that helps. You can be a little bit more physical because it doesn't look so bad when you're a long-armed guy doing that. So I think those are some of the aspects uh, that have really helped. And then the other thing is these are guys that, you know, King's just a sophomore and, and, and Dixon's a junior transfer. We get all that. But these are guys that have played a lot of snaps early in their careers. Mm-hmm. And I think that really helps because – if you're not getting better with every rep, everybody's wondering what the problem is, right? And so you look at these guys, and they're getting better with every single rep. And that's why that level of maturity, that level of understanding, and I think more than anything, when you watch them play, I see them playing a smarter brand of football as opposed to just being out there saying, I'm a great athlete, I can get away with doing things. Which then brings us to Jair Brown. And I can say this, and I can flip this over to Brent Strange. It's fun watching guys become complete players. When you watch Jair Brown play the run, play the pass, how important is the mental side of it? Because he seems to be the one that's putting everybody in the right spot. I call him an automatic trigger, Steve. Like, he doesn't think. It's all instinct because he knows what he's seen all week long watching film. He knows the scheme, and he understands what teams are trying to do to attack this defense. He knows where the weaknesses are as well. So when you watch him play, I see a guy that triggers faster than most, and I think that's what makes him 
uh, such a really good player is because when you watch him play, there is no slowdown. Everything he's doing is fast because he doesn't have to stop and think. It just naturally happens because he's triggered by everything he's studied, all of the information he's downloaded, right? The, yeah. the old, what's that, what's that movie, uh, Short Circuit with the robots? Yep. And, the, and, the, and the robot's like reading the book. Like he's reading like a 500 page book in like 12 seconds. Yeah. And all you hear is, oh, lots of down, uh, lots of input. That's Jair Brown. Like a lot of input all week. And so the output on Saturday is so easy for him because it's, it's been downloaded so consistently throughout the week. It spits itself out. Another guy that I think is showing signs of becoming a complete player is the tight end Brenton Strange. What are you seeing with him? He's becoming what, what I think, and I, I don't know every play call. I don't. Um, but what I see is a guy that's understanding the coverages defensively. So he's doing a good job, in my opinion, of, oh, I need to go to the next window because this window is going to close. Like those small things of let me continue across this linebacker's face into the next window because the linebacker is working towards me anyway. So I need to work the other way and cross him because then I'm wide open. Good hands. And then I think what, what we're seeing more out of Brenton Strange than we've seen is after the catch. Yeah. He's much more dangerous than he's ever been, in my opinion, after the catch. And I think earlier in his career, his mindset was just, I, I just want to make sure I catch the ball, right? Now, all of a sudden, his mindset is, I need to do something with the football because I know I'm going to catch the ball. And that's a different mentality as a player. That's maturity, that's growth, that's development. But that's also what turns uh, a solid player into a big playmaker that's a big piece of the offense. Yeah. All right. Um, So in a bye week, how do teams need to approach bye weeks? Every team's a little bit different as to how they need to approach it. When you look at this team, how do they need to approach it? I think you get healthy. Obviously, that's the number one thing, and that's what everybody right tries to do. If anybody's kind of beat up, nicked up, dinged up, you try to find a way to get those guys uh, a few days rest, get them some extra training room time, those kinds of things. I think that's that's numero uno. Uh, number two, you kind of reset, and, and you discuss, to me, if, if uh, as a coaching staff, you look at, okay, what are we really good at, right? What are, what are we really, really good at, and what are we so – I hate to say it this way. What are we so bad at that we just go, we're going to scrap that. We don't even need to bring that out anymore this year, right? right? Let's just move on from that. So it's it's self-scouting from a coaching standpoint, and then now the identifier is, okay, we're past the that four-game red shirt mark, right, for players. Who do we know? Have we identified the guys that we know we're comfortable putting on the field the rest of the year? And what I mean by that is you can't find some freshman that hasn't taken a snap and say we're going to get him a couple snaps a game. No, he's got to be a part of this thing. Or you keep the red shirt on, right? So you're making those decisions as well. And then I think technically you figure out, okay, these are our best packages. These are our best uh, personnel groupings. This is what we really like to do. How do we want to work the play-action game? Where do we need to get stronger? Like this is one of those weeks where – Maybe you challenge some guys in the weight room, offensive linemen, maybe defensive linemen, if they've had some situations where maybe they've 
lost some one-on-one battles because they were physically being overpowered. He challenged those guys in the weight room to really work to, to finish the season by getting stronger, and it starts this week. Those are some of the things you look at. And, and then I think last but not least, you simplify and you start to bracket and pocket what's next of the season. If it's me and I'm James Franklin, listen, I, I agree with the 1-0 the this week mentality. There's nothing wrong with that. But if I'm him, I'm looking at this season right now and I'm saying the next thing we need to focus on is October. Just I'm, I don't care about Indiana, Rutgers, Maryland, Michigan State. I, I may have gotten that order wrong on the back. I don't care about those four games. I need to lock into going to Michigan and getting a win and then being able to refocus for Minnesota and Ohio State. That's it. So now it becomes a short three-game stretch that you've got to play your best football. And then after Ohio State, whatever happens, happens in these next three games. Best-case scenario, you're 8-0. Worst-case scenario, you're 5-3. and Most likely scenario is you've got seven – you've got six or seven wins, Right. Michigan, Ohio State, we'll see what happens in those two games. I think Minnesota is a very winnable game. Going on the road is always tough in the Big Ten. Ohio State is always a difficult game. I think I always laugh because people talk about rivalries and they say Penn State's rivalries. I'm like, listen, you can say what you want. Michigan State may be at the end of the schedule. The Ohio State game is huge. It's the most important one. The Big 33 has something to do with all of those aspects Make Ohio State always the biggest game on the schedule. Oh, by the way, they're one of the top five, top three teams in the country, right, with Michigan sitting there right behind them at number four. So when you look at it from that standpoint, James Franklin is going, we've got a chance in these next three games to tell the world that we're either a decent Big Ten team, a really good Big Ten team, or we're competing for a national championship this year. And I'm not trying to put the cart before the horse, but if somehow you can go on the road and win in the big house and then come back, win at home, and, and then a week after that, you beat the Buckeyes at Beaver Stadium, you become a national championship contender. That's just the reality. I'm not saying that I expect that because that's why they got to play the games. But if those things happen, that is the conversation not only in Happy Valley but across the country. Uh, when you played, social media was not a part of the mix. It didn't mean, you know, there, there weren't newspapers and so forth out there. But today it's instantaneous. Everybody has Twitter, Instagram accounts. Well, at least most people do. <laughs> All right. uh, how does a coach, you can't control it, but deal with social media because people have such contact with a coach's players these days well first you got to remind the guys no matter what it may be a social media era but for everybody on the roster stay out of the papers (laughs) first and foremost yeah but to that point you you have to treat them like men and let them understand listen you're going to see some things you're going to hear some things on social media but your focus needs to be on what you see on tape. And and you have to, from a coaching standpoint, reiterate how good those football teams are. And even more importantly, every now and then, you got to remind a player that he's not that good, right? You're not a perfect football player yet. That is the goal. It'll never happen. No one's perfect. But you keep pushing them to try to get there 
so that whatever noise that they're hearing, they are reminded that I still have to do the work because at the end of the day, you're not going to win if you don't do the work ahead of time. So that's the main thing you have to remind them. And then uh, the other part of it is trust. And, and, and if a guy is doing some things or, or, or playing in a game to where they're a little erratic because maybe they saw something on social media, somebody said, oh, we're going to beat them by 35 points, whatever the case may be, you've got to find a way to calm those guys down and get them involved. I, I'll give you a prime example. Um, a couple of weeks ago I was doing a uh, Mercer game at Gardner-Webb and, and a kid at Mercer – Devron Harper, really good player. Mm-hmm. He's a Gardner Webb transfer. All of a sudden, he's back. He's got his issues, his, his whatever, with Gardner Webb. The first thing Mercer does is give him the football. And the reason why they want him to go ahead and take a hit and get himself acclimated properly and not get over antsy, they're trying to bring that adrenaline down right away by giving him a chance to maybe get hit. Needless to say, he took the ball 60-plus yards to the house, so it didn't matter. But you do that to get folks indoctrinated. So if it's a running back, you're probably going to get him an early carry. A receiver, you're probably going to get him an early catch. And figure out where his mind is, because if you get him the ball early and they put it on the ground, then you know they're not ready to play. They're focused on what was on social media. If they get the ball and make a play, then you go, they're focused in the right way, and we need to keep feeding them the football. Always a pleasure, sir. Thank you so much for your time. As always, look forward to our chat next week. I look forward to it. It's going to be fun. It's always fun talking ball with you, Steve. And uh, for the record, just so everybody knows, I may be the guest and the analyst here, but I've learned more football probably from Steve than I've learned from a whole lot of people. So there we go. Well, it's kind of you even think that, but you know, you know way more than I do. Thanks, Reginald. I appreciate it very much. Anytime. Reginald Walker. Very kind of him to say that, but he does know more than I do. All right. Uh, Phillies and Cardinals. Uh, Quintana, five and a third. Struck out Schwarber. Took him out after the lefty-on-lefty matchup. They brought in the former State College Spike, Jordan Hicks. He got two outs with that power fastball, power slider. And when I mean power, I'm talking about right around 100. 101, got two outs, and as he got Hoskins and JT Real Muto, and Wheeler back to work in the bottom of the sixth inning in a scoreless game. Cleveland already won today, beat Tampa Bay 2-1. Jose Ramirez, two-run homer to back up Shane Bieber on the mound today. We'll come back with more in a moment. Tommy McCarthy next half hour, and then Tony Knopp. Final half hour here on News Radio 1070 WKOK, brought to you by our good friends at Brewers Outlet. Yeah, was that a bad game last night? Oh my goodness. That was awful. I mean, that was I mean, that was a bad game last night. Oh. A couple things I look at. Number one, the defenses are always ahead of the offenses. But here's a big reason why defense is ahead of offense. Nobody plays in the preseason. It's almost like September is like preseason games. But Russell Wilson is certainly off his game. He's not accurate throwing the ball. Even guys end up like a little bit behind when they throw it. And the play, I mean, Nathaniel Hackett. 
Okay, so let's start with this. Fourth down and one in overtime, down three. He went for it. I would have gone for it, too. Same thing. But I'd have moved Wilson. I would not have had him sit in the pocket. You need one for a first down. And he can pick up one if he's moving. And he didn't move him. He had him in the pocket. It was a good pocket. K.J. Hamler got a free release off the line of scrimmage. Total. Free. Wide open. Wilson never saw him. So fourth and one. Down three. Overtime. I would have gone for it, too. End of regulation. This is where he botched it. They're running the ball, running the ball, running the ball, running the ball. He's got a third down play coming up. Indianapolis is out of timeouts. Time score, time score, time score. Come on. All right, run the football. Drain more time. Then send the field goal unit out, make it six, because guess what Indianapolis hasn't done all night? They haven't scored a touchdown. Ah. Instead, they throw. Not only that does he throw, he throws to the fifth option. The fifth option. His fifth option. And Gilmore picks it off in the end zone. The game, that game, I fell asleep in the first half and probably missed 75% of the first half. Maybe 80%. I woke up at halftime. And I couldn't fall back to sleep. And I actually watched the entire second half and overtime. When it was done, I looked around and thought to myself, what did I just do? Tony Knob next half hour here on News Radio 1070 WKOK, brought to you by our good friends at Brewers Outlet.